Welcome to SGO On The Go, where we discuss advances in gynecologic oncology research, clinical practice, and other hot topics in our subspecialty. I'm Maddie Facemeyer, and today we continue our series called Turnover Talks, bite-sized summaries of SGO webinars, short enough for your OR turnover. For this Turnover Talk, we welcome Dr. Melissa Geller and Dr. Shannon Weston as they discuss novel discoveries in endometrial cancer originally presented at the SGO 2020 annual meeting. Hey there, everybody. This is Shannon Weston from the University of Texas MD Anderson Cancer Center, and I am joined by Dr. Melissa Geller of the University of Minnesota. And we are going to do a quick uh, turnover talk on the SGO webinar that I hope you all got a chance to watch which was novel discoveries in endometrial cancer, are we finally making progress? So without further ado, I will literally turn over, I made a pun, um, our uh, broadcast over to Dr. Geller, and she is going to discuss the first three exciting abstracts. Thank you, Shannon, and thank you to the Education Committee for allowing me to present this turnover talk. Uh, I will review the first three SGO abstracts uh, that were presented this year on advanced endometrial cancer. So Dr. Bajump presented the findings of 286B, which was a randomized phase 2-3 study of paclitaxel, carboplatinum, and metformin versus paclitaxel, carboplatinum, placebo as initial therapy for measurable stage 3, 4A, and 4B or recurrent endometrial cancer. That showed that the addition of metformin given twice daily to paclitaxel, carboplatinum, did not significantly improve progression-free survival or overall survival in this population. Thus, an interim phase three analysis was stopped to accrual based on futility. Neither body mass index nor presence of metformin transporters based on immunohistochemistry was predictive of outcomes in this population. However, most striking was the data that was actually presented looking at progression-free survival and overall survival by race. The racial disparities in PFS and overall survival were unfortunately consistent with what we've seen observed in previous studies. As you would expect, there were a greater proportion of African-American patients in the study that had serous tumors than white women, yet despite similar response rates between serous and endometriotic histology, response rates of African-American women compared to white women was much worse at 43% versus 64%. African-American race was associated with worse overall survival than white race with a hazard ratio of two. Critical data from Dr. Jump's study may shed some light on this disparity. She's currently performing targeted DNA sequencing of 800 genes on the tumors from the 61 African-American women enrolled in 286B, which will provide invaluable information into the continued racial disparities we see in an endometrial cancer. The next abstract I reviewed by Dr. Oaken and colleagues was on the Garnet trial, safety and efficacy of an anti-PD-1 monoclonal antibody dostarlamab in patients with recurrent or advanced mismatch repair deficient endometrial cancer. Inclusion criteria included recurrent or advanced endometrial cancers that had progressed on or after treatment with a platinum-containing regimen, mismatch repair deficient tumors by IHC, and less than or equal to two prior lines of treatment. At last year's SGO, Dr. Oken presented her data showing an overall response rate of 49% in the MSI high group and 20% in the microsatellite stable group. This response rate held true in the data that was presented at this year's SGO in the mismatch repair deficient group with an objective response rate of around 42%. Responses were deep and durable and toxicity consistent with that of other PD-1 antibodies. 
Median follow-up was 11 months, and median duration of response had not yet been reached, ranging from one month to 19 months. Importantly, 25 of 30, 83% of these responders remained in response at the time of data cutoff. The dosing schedule for this drug is appealing with the drug given every six weeks following the initial four doses. And based on this promising data, dostarlamab now gives us another option for checkpoint inhibition in mismatch repair deficient and MSI high tumors following paclitaxel and carboplatinum chemotherapy in advanced or recurrent endometrial cancer. The use of this anti-PD-1 antibody is now being tested in the RUBY trial, which is a randomized placebo-controlled phase three trial of dostarlamab and carboplatinum and paclitaxel in first-line advanced or recurrent endometrial cancer and includes carcinosarcoma. In the final abstract, Dr. Mocker presented her findings from the Keynote 146 Study 111 Levatinib and Pembrolizumab in patients with advanced endometrial cancer, which has helped to transform the way we now treat advanced recurrent endometrial cancers. With objective response rates of 38% in the MSS population and 63% in the microsatellite uh, instable high population, these responses are significantly better than what we have seen in any of the single agents tested in the 129Q from GOG, looking at cytotoxic therapies following chemotherapy in recurrent endometrial cancer, where response rates range anywhere from zero to 27%, and the overall survival rates are less than a year. Importantly, in this trial, the patients with serous tumors that tend to behave more like microsatellite-stable tumors had a, a, a response rates of up to 42%, suggesting that the combination of levatinib and pembrolizumab is moving cold tumors into more immunogenic hot tumors. This combination demonstrated deep and durable responses. This combination, however, we have to remember, is not without toxicity, and these will have to be actively managed in this population. Both drugs were discontinued in 9% of patients, and 72% of patients required drug interruption. 70% had grade three or four toxicity consisting of hypertension, fatigue, diarrhea, and hypothyroidism. This combination gives every patient the opportunity to receive pembrolizumab now, regardless of mismatch repair status, as it was granted accelerated approval in September of 2019 by the FDA for the treatment of advanced recurrent endometrial cancer that is not MSI high or has a mismatch repair deficient disease following progression after prior systemic therapy. Uh, I'll hand it back to you, Shannon. Great, that was awesome, Dr. Geller. Um, I'm gonna take the next few minutes to review some of the exciting data that were presented around uterine serous tumors. And I think we it was a testament to the wonderful research that came out of the Cancer Genome Atlas that nearly every single one of these presentations referenced their work and really dividing up endometrial cancer into four molecular um, types but yet we're still treating everybody the same. And I think the authors of the three, um, or the two studies I'm gonna be discussing really are to be commended because they really pulled out uterine serous cancer as its own um, uh, cancer type rather than lumping it together and treating everybody with paclitaxel and carboplatin. Now, you know, Dr. Geller just reviewed the the wonderful work um, in immunotherapy with both the Garnet trials and the Keynote tri 146 trial, and I do think we have made some steps with immunotherapy, especially as it um, is regarding uterine serous tumors. You know, the Garnet study that she mentioned of dostarlamab as a single agent, approximately 19% uh, of those patients were uh, or had serous tumors 
tumors. Um, and we did see initially the microsatellite stable response rate was around 20%. So we would think that might be the group that's uterine serous. To be determined as we see the, um, we'll have to see the updated results, which I believe are coming soon, um, to see if that, that response rates holds up and if there's something about that single agent in uterine serous tumors. But we know that the combination of pembrolizumab and lumbatinib is quite active for uterine serous tumors. There's a 42% response rate in that group um, subset pulled out um, in the microsatellite tumors, so it or microsatellite stable tumors. So it's really exciting to see um, these options, although we do have to um, balance that with the additional toxicity we see with the combination. Now, we know when we look at the molecular alterations in uterine serous tumors, we see a lot of P53 mutations, which are very hard to potentially target, um, but I have exciting work by Dr. Liu that I'm going to discuss where they actually are starting to be able to do that, drug the undruggable. Um, and also we see a quite a bit of RB2 amplification and overexpression. Now the HER2 story in uterine series hasn't always been great. Um, initial studies of single agents, trastuzumab and lapatinib were pretty minimal, uh, had pretty minimal activity, 0% response rate with trastuzumab given weekly and um, daily lapatinib was only 3%. And a, a proportion of those patients were uterine serous tumors, but some of the selection for um, those trials was not maybe ideal. And so Dr. Fader and her colleagues really pushed the envelope and really believed in this molecular targeting and put together a randomized phase two study of trastuzumab uh, combined with paclitaxel and carboplatin chemotherapy. Now we had previously seen the wonderful progression-free survival results where we saw a reduction in the risk of progression in the all-comers population, but especially in that group that was a new diagnosis with advanced stage either stage three or four disease. There was still an impact in those with recurrent disease, but not quite as um, bold and not quite as strong. However, she presented her new um, updated overall survival data, and importantly, not only did this, the addition of trastuzumab to chemo add uh, progression-free survival, we also saw a significant improvement in overall survival. And so, again, all comers was statistically significant. However, um, when they teased out between the advanced stage and the recurrent, it really does seem that the overall survival benefit is driven by those patients with advanced stage disease, so stage three, four. So this is a practice changing study. We need to be checking HER2 on all our patients with uterine serous and considering it for, um, uh, for our patients. I, I do think there's opportunity to maximize targeting these uh, this uh, target um, with, uh, with appropriate agents in the recurrent setting. And there are, to that end, there are plans for dual combination studies and a lot of really cool new drugs coming down the pike. And then finally, to review uh, Dr. Liu's study of adavastatib, which was given in uterine serous tumors. So why? What is this drug? This drug is a WE1 inhibitor and, and really plays on so-called synthetic lethality. Now, synthetic lethality is something we're all really familiar with PARP inhibitors, but now we're starting to use it against P53. So cells with P53 mutation are going to lose their G1S checkpoint. It increases replication stress and dependence on the G2M checkpoint. And that is what WE1 regulates. So if you target Target we won, you shut down G2M. You've already shut down G1S because of the P53 mutation, synthetic lethality, and cellular catastrophe and death. So this was a single arm um, phase two study of uh, adavastatib in um, uterine serous tumors. They saw beautiful response rate of about 30%, um, and the, the responses were durable and deep. They saw a clinical benefit rate of about 39%. The duration of response was 6.2, and over 50% of patients were progression-free at six months. So again, small study, 
very exciting. It's not quite ready for prime time. And we're really going to have to start thinking about how are we going to sequence these things. We're going to test for these molecular aberrations, which one first. And also, we got to think about the toxicity. So, you know, the adavastertib as a single agent still had quite a bit of toxicity, about 55% of patients required a dose reduction. And so that's going to be something we're considering as we're, you know, have this buffet of options now, finally, in endometrial cancer. But I think it's exciting to have these options. Um, and I know we've made a lot of progress and um, more to come over the next few years. So again, thank you so much to the program committee for giving us the opportunity to review these excellent abstracts and then to do this really cool turnover talk so you can listen in um, while you're waiting for your scrub text to get everything ready. So I hope everyone has a great day. Thanks again, Dr. Geller. You were awesome, as always. Thank you very much. The information presented is that of the contributing faculty and presenters and does not necessarily represent the views of the Society of Gynecologic Oncology or any named company or organization providing financial support. Specific therapies discussed may not be approved and or specified for use as indicated by the faculty or presenters. If you like what you heard today, please let us know by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and hitting the follow button wherever you're listening. If you have suggestions for future SGO on-the-go podcasts, please email us at education at sgo.org.